0: Welcome to the hot dish. Well, the results from yesterday's election are in, and Joel and I have hot dish to share all right. On this episode, we're going to analyze some key results and talk about what they might mean for 2024. Joining me today is my brother, Joel Heitkamp, to talk about impressions that we have about what's happening in the political world. Thanks, Joel, for coming on.
1: You bet. It is me, Joel Heitkamp, who also is a senator from North Dakota. Just (laughs) happens to be a state senator. So the only thing I can tell my big sister is... I'm the high camp that never lost a race. Now, that being said, uh, can can I just throw this out? You know,
0: you learn more by losing, so I'm way smarter than you are.
1: (laughs) Well, at least you had the guts (laughs) to run big time, which I never had those guts. But, uh, you know, you look at the races yesterday, uh, and you take a hard look at them, Heidi, and it's going to cause a discussion about 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and now 23 and how all of those years have been bad years for the Republican Party. And what's the one thing in common? All of those years are post-Donald Trump's uh, victory and Donald Trump being on a stage. And so I hope we talk about that a little bit today.
0: I think we will. But but I want to start out by talking about abortion politics, because I think everyone had um, a sense that in 2022, the Democrats were headed for a disaster. And then the Supreme Court did something that was completely predictable, given the nominees. They basically reversed Roe v. Wade. And that woke up a whole group of voters who really didn't vote choice before because they had the right, and then all of a sudden realized that could be taken away through a political system. We saw that again in the race for the legislature in Virginia. We saw it again in the governor's race in Kentucky. We saw it big time in Ohio, where um, the voters again enshrined uh, reproductive rights into the Ohio constitution. Now remember, Ohio was a state where a 10 year old could not, who had been raped, could not secure an abortion and had to go to Indiana. So their laws were incredibly draconian. And so we can't really talk about this, this I think, cycle um, in the last uh, five years without talking about abortion. So, I mean, Joel, what do, you, what do you think it tells us about, number one, how scared some of us in red states were to be pro-choice, politically scared, but what does it tell us about women voters in particular?
1: Well, it tells us that women have a right to get this, uh, on a state level, fixed. You know, as a talk show host here in the Upper Midwest, I said time and time again that the majority of people out there believe that abortion should be legal. you got to keep in mind, Hyde, that Roe happened a long time ago. It's been a long time since the 70s. And so each one of us know uh, someone, uh, or way more than someone, who has taken advantage of the opportunity for women to make that choice? And so, when we see them, we don't see someone evil, and and many other people are the ones voting as well who did make that choice. And so, by having it be this legal, this long, uh, it just simply looked at at and was a right that was being taken away. Yeah. And I think that that's a big problem for those individuals who are pro-life.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about the Virginia strategy, because I think for a lot of Republicans, they think, oh, well, the problem is, is that there isn't an exception in the first trimester for rape and, and incest. You know, we've gone too radical on the other side to personhood protection at conception. We need to moderate our position and be the kind of moderate party on abortion. Well, let's talk about Virginia. Governor Yunkin decided that the way to, you know, kind of thread the needle of abortion politics was to propose a a 15-week ban with exceptions, uh, very narrow exceptions, and that the voters would overwhelmingly support giving him a legislature that would let him do that. And he made that, that moderation a centerpiece of his attempt to recapture the House of Delegates, or or to get, retain the House of Delegates and recapture the Senate. Guess what? It didn't work. And so I think that there's going to be some thinking, I think, in Republican circles about what they would call safety net or that safe harbor of a 15-week ban being where the majority of Americans are. This certainly wasn't true in Virginia.
1: So what does that tell you? That whatever Youngquist's uh, agenda was, it's pretty well gone out the window. And now he's become a governor where the biggest thing in his life is going to be the word veto. When you look at the privacy of the ballot box, you know, you stop at the VFW and you say, I'm pro-choice. Now you're off and running, right? There's yep. going to be some jerk in there that you're going to end up fighting, well, and, it's and gonna they're an going to un- un- call
0: you a baby killer, and they're yep. going to, yep. and
1: it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation because nobody wants to talk about abortion, nobody wants to talk about the issue as a whole. But you get in that little ugly red booth, the the red and the white curtain, right? You pull it, and, and you get a chance to vote with all that privacy. Uh, then you end up seeing exactly what we're seeing, which isn't close. Races. I mean, you, you look at Ohio. Yeah. That wasn't close. Nope. That that was that was a whooping uh, that the pro life people had. And so I don't know what their new strategy is, other than to whine about it or go back to church and be popular. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, they're taking a whooping on the issue.
0: Tonight we're going to have a. Republican debate. Uh, and on the stage will be fewer candidates than the last time Pence has bowed out. Asa Hutchinson and, and Doug Burgum didn't make the stage. And so when you look at the um, th- this issue, and I'm, I'm expecting that it's going to come up, it's going to be really fascinating to see how they react to what happened in in the 2023, what I would call mid-midterm election, and what their response is going to be, particularly for Nikki Haley, because she has kind of said, look, one of our problems is we've been too radical on this, and we need to moderate our position. But I don't think, I mean, you know this base as well as I do, Joel. Do you really think that they think 15 weeks is where they should be?
1: No. In fact, many of them think that it's uh, six weeks is where yeah. they should be. Well,
0: they, they, are, they even are at six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Protection at conception.
1: Yeah. I mean, look at Ohio. The, the story isn't hard to tell on why they're wrong uh, when it comes to, to choice. You're going to find that young girl in Kentucky who looks into a camera and tells that story. Yeah. And, and that personalizes it because everyone knows that could have been their daughter. Yep. And so the issue is a losing one. In fact, you can see that Trump recognizes that because he's already out there spinning when he, in the fact, is the cause of it.
0: Yeah, isn't that the truth? Um, I want to talk about another area of culture uh, uh, wars and kind of something that I think a lot of people would say, well, the Democrats have lost our part of the world because of um, culture. Uh, You take a look at Bashir's, Governor Bashir's, um, last night had a remarkable victory, wasn't even close in the end. And he was able to do that in spite of having vetoed really hateful restrictions on health care for trans people. And so I, what does that tell the Democrats in real time about that issue, about trans rights and the, I think, toxicity of this as a voting issue uh, kind of moving forward?
1: Well, I think it matters what state you're in, uh, number one. Number two. But, Joel, really Kentucky? Kentucky's well, not that different than North Dakota. No, no. I, I don't think that that's the reason that what happened in Kentucky happened. I think that that would have been a reason for it not to happen, but I don't think it's the reason that the election went the way it went. Uh, if you look at some of these areas, finding that champion of uh, you know trans students and how they're being treated in schools, that's a lot harder to find, but the people that do come forth are, you know, they're articulate when it comes to it. I, In the end, That's the one thing coming from a very red state I know we've both been popular. I shouldn't say popular, but proud of is the fact that, you know what? I don't care. I know right (laughs) from wrong. I I mean, I really don't. I don't care. Don't elect me. But I know right from wrong.
0: Well, and I think that the importance of this as an issue, it definitely didn't rise to the uh, level of man, I, that guy vetoed these bills and I'm going to go out and vote against him. That's the one reason why I'm going to vote against him. You know, people may not have liked the veto, but it wasn't, in the end, it wasn't a voting issue. And, and I think that's something that we can say is, is fair. One, one surprised me, actually. I thought that um, even though we came very close, Presley, to beating the uh, sitting governor of Mississippi, fell a little bit short. The Mississippi governor was—he uh, had an administration that's been riddled with scandal, and I think Presley was the right candidate to go out and really, you know, be in in the arena in a way that we haven't been competitive in Mississippi in the past. What's your sense of of how possible it is in the next ten years for Mississippi to become a state, not necessarily reliably blue? but definitely much more of a swing state much more of a purple state.
1: Well, the answer to that is tell me who the leader of the Republican Party is. If you end up with someone with some common sense and and the the ability to actually care about people, then instead of themselves, then I think the opportunity to to take over a state like that or to win a race is is minuscule. Uh, if you end up with a person like Donald Trump that uh, everyone is embarrassed uh, to have be their leader. I mean, whether they vote for him or not, don't, don't kid yourself. People get embarrassed by him. I've got a good friend that is a very moderate Republican that voted for him twice that is embarrassed to have him be president. He just doesn't like the Democrat. And so that stuff matters. When, when you look at a race like Mississippi, the biggest thing a race like that does is it gives courage to other people who wouldn't even consider running in a red state and now they look at a race like that and say wait a second here he almost won and my guy is is a little right of Attila the Hun I'll take him on I'll I'll make a run at this yeah and and I think that race did that for people
0: I think the other thing is this is a state that is uh, almost 40 percent African-American and Democrats outperform or underperform in terms of turnout. And, you know, I don't know that this goes back to your bitch and my bitch, which is, you know, some small amount of investment might be appreciated here. Um, You know, uh, don't don't write us off so so readily. I want to transition to the national election coming up, 2024. MAP is incredibly difficult for uh, Democrats in the Senate. Much more optimistic about the House. There's only a, a four or five vote margin there with many. I think there's 18 members that are in Biden districts, what we would call districts Biden one. Um, I think that the dysfunction in the House of Representatives, they look like a clown show in, in their last couple of weeks trying to elect a speaker. We'll see if they can recover any semblance of political momentum for a House of Representatives. But, you know, obviously the big enchilada here is going to be the, the president. And some polling in the New York Times over the weekend would suggest that uh, President Biden's challenged at this point in time. How worried are you, Joel? How, how do, you, do you think Biden will be able to return to the White House?
1: You know, if, if you look at the polling, you'd have to say no. But, uh, you know, he hasn't gotten a chance to run head-to-head against Donald Trump yet. And Joe Biden, everybody's criticizing him for not criticizing Trump. I think he's Biden his time uh, perfectly when it comes to it. I think coming out and punching the guy is, is going to come. It just is going to come at the right time. Now, that being said, Joe Biden's old. I mean, we can't ignore that. Joe Biden's old. Donald Trump is old. You know, if we were to run a younger candidate against Donald Trump, I thoroughly believe, if it's the right candidate, that these numbers wouldn't be anywhere near where they are. And I've been saying on my radio show that uh, 80-year-olds, certainly people in their mid-80s, you have to question whether or not. Their time has come and is gone. I know that doesn't make me very popular with the Democrats. I get it. Oh, trust me. Uh, check out the phone calls I get. Uh, but, you know, for the very same reason, you got to be 35 to be president, is the very same reason that maybe we should have a talk on both of these men's case, because they're both going to be in their 80s, that maybe there should be a cutoff on the top end.
0: Well, I mean, that's what a lot of people are talking about. And, you know, I I obviously um, work on a college campus. I think young people are wondering why, when we have 330 million people in this country, we actually have these as our only choices. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a, a legitimate question about whether the political system is producing candidates that people are excited about. I mean, I think we've been such a fear-based kind of political uh, dynamic over time. We're, We're more interested rather than inspiring people, scaring people. Boo, you know, don't elect that guy. Boo, that'll be really bad. Boo, as opposed to here's somebody who really will lead the economy in the right direction for young people deal with income inequality. And I know Biden's got a lot of ammunition as it relates to what he has done. But, you know, it's just not translating. You know, there's a lot of bragging about Bidenomics, but, you know, right now, 70% of the people think the economy is headed in the wrong direction. So maybe you ought not to label your uh, economic policies with your name.
1: Just a second, Heidi. I mean, you, you take a look at uh, the the charts that Steve Ratner just produced, uh, the yeah. gross domestic product. We're kicking butt. You look at what our country's doing in relation to other countries that did fall into recession. We're kicking butt. If you go to people and ask them, this morning when I filled up with gas, $3.05, right? Uh, there is eggs in the store. Uh, it, it, it was Biden's fault that the chickens died, right? <laughs> and so, you know— I. I look at it, in Joel's sports analogy, you know, my passion for sports, sometimes people play the game too long. I mean, what a record. Get elected to the United States Senate before you legally can take office. You work your way all the way through to all these different levels. Uh, Senate, vice president, president. You know what? I think writing off into history as a winner wouldn't be a bad thing. The problem is he's not gonna saddle the horse, Heidi. He's yeah, just not.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think as we look at kind of the economy and where where uh, things will be in in a couple years. And I, I, I make this argument and because the response always is the macroeconomic numbers, GDP, unemployment, you know, kind of but but when you drill down and you say As my friend Barbara Mikulski used to say, the Democrats win because we pay attention to, yes, the macroeconomic numbers, but we're the macaroni and cheese party, right? You know, what do families need and what are families getting? And families are feeling financially insecure. I don't think there's any doubt about it. The interest rates are up. Um, A lot of them depend on credit. Um, if you're a young person and you want to find daycare, you can't find affordable daycare. You can't find a job. I mean, if you, you can't find a job that's going to pay you enough to pay for your daycare, um, you're looking at now student loans will be coming back. You can't afford housing. I mean, you know, the, these are, these are challenges. There was a, um, you know, and, and a lot of people are raising these concerns and, uh, recently did some uh, economic uh, television you know, for one of the networks that basically report on the economy and business, and a host of a show that I'm on a lot, basically raised something that hasn't been raised, which is insurance costs have gone through the roof, in part driven by climate, in part driven by these weather patterns that have raised um, costs so high. And so, you know, when people are feeling like everything is coming at me and I don't have, I don't feel like I'm getting ahead and I don't feel like my kids are going to enjoy the same, you know, kind of lifestyle that I enjoyed, that creates an economic insecurity and you're going to blame the guy who was there. And, you know, Trump, Trump, when you look at his numbers, his economic numbers were really bad. Now, they would say, well, that's the pandemic. But but I, I always say, you know, he promised he would protect us. He alone could do it. Why didn't he protect us from the pandemic? I mean, he, he wants credit for all of these other numbers. Why doesn't he have to take responsibility for what happened during the pandemic? But people's image of Trump's economy is really pretty favorable. And so I think that's a that's a hurdle for the president and the vice president to overcome.
1: Well, I think you're right to bring up insurance, but let's keep in mind that in the end, it's interest rates. When I bought my pickup uh, two years ago, the deal I got with uh, the motor company, uh, since we're not saying brand names, you know, when I bought my pickup, the interest rates was 0.5, okay? Wow. Uh, When my producer just bought her car, uh, the interest rate she was looking at was 9%. Yep. Now, that's the truth. Those are the numbers. And so- uh, Joe Biden gets blamed for that, and he and his campaign have to understand that. Unless they have an answer for that uh, between now and, and the fall of twenty four, they're going to lose the election.
0: Yeah, Joel, I want to I want to um, just spend just a minute talking about farms and um, net farm income. Uh, net farm income's never been higher. We had two record years. Not this year wasn't as good as twenty twenty three or 2021. But, you know, why isn't Biden doing better in rural America?
1: Well, because a lot of the problems that farmers have, we've solved solved as Democrats. You know that, I know that. In your time in the United States Senate, you did that. The people before you did that. They have crop insurance. They know that if there's a terrible uh, drought out there. They covered, uh, they're covered. They also know uh, that if, you know what, something happens and the whole quarter gets wiped out, they're covered. They don't worry anymore about whether or not the federal government is going to step in and help them. That It isn't the 1980s that their parents lived through. And so they take the federal government. It's the same way, Heidi, that many of the unions out there, the people that build Bobcats in North Dakota started voting Republicans, because we fixed workers' comp, we fixed health insurance, we fixed family leave, we fixed all of these things, and they don't need us anymore. And so why not vote about uh, gays, guns, and God, in their mind? I mean, it's that ridiculous, but someday that'll back up on farmers. Look at, right now, they're gonna get an extension on the farm bill. Grassley today was already talking about two extensions on the farm bill because they didn't want to deal with it in an election year. Farmers don't have to worry. They've got a great big insurance blanket.
0: Well, and and the 2018 farm bill, which I'm proud to have helped write, Is a pretty damn good farm bill. And, you know, if if you're extending a pretty good farm bill, you know, could we tweak it here and there? Could we make improvements? A lot of the conservation improvements that I would fight for was our, were, they were already done in the Inflation Reduction Act. And so there isn't a lot of pressure. Crop insurance will continue actually even without an extension. And so there isn't a lot of pressure to do a new farm bill. In that way. And so, like you said, predictability and a sense that we're covered, that we've got that kind of guarantee has really led to um, kind of exposure, I think, challenges for the Democrats to advance an idea that would be a voting idea.
1: The one thing you're going to see in farm country is a whole lot of new grain bins, a whole lot of leg systems on top of them. You're going to see some new combines. You're going to see some new pickups, and you're going to see a lake home. They get mad when you say that they they do. But one eight hundred, go ahead and get mad at me. I'm a talk show host. <laughs> but they haven't done so bad a couple of years now.
0: Well, yeah, and so it's like you know when you it it goes back to your argument about the economy. You know the economy is horrible. Look what how horrible this been. But you know. Record debt, farm income.
1: Yeah, yep, exactly. So,
0: Joel, I think we're going to have lots of time to talk politics um, in the next uh, couple months. I want to talk about the Senate and about how important rural America is to reelecting some of the senators that we know and love. And making sure that we're providing an insight, I think, to what it's going to take to do better. We're not going to win rural America as Democrats, but what would it take to do better? I think that's, you know, to cut the margins because uh, you can't lose rural America 80-20 and expect to win Iowa ever again, or or even Ohio. So, you know, Joel, it's always good to talk to you. You're a straight shooter. (laughs) Um, you know, unvarnished uh, opinion is uh, incredibly valuable. And thanks for uh, co-hosting the Hot Dish with me.
1: You bet. Deer hunting this weekend. I got priorities.
0: <laughs> Sausage.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It, it, it's it's the, it's what he gives for Christmas. So it's like Christmas shopping for Joel.
1: Well, and and just to point out, you don't even doubt whether or not I'm going to get my deer. So there. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't because Michael scoped it out. He'll go oh, out. Oh, don't there even start. And he's don't even go start. Out and tell you where the best spot is. Yeah, yeah you I'm don't right. have to work very hard.
1: I got my dear long before he even Oh uh,
0: yeah, talk re- bitch. Yeah, I wish you were on. Where... We should have Michael on. Talk about yeah. you.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Take care, everyone. Yeah. You bet. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Hot Dish. If you enjoyed our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And to support the important work that One Country Project is doing to elevate the needs of rural America and Washington, please visit onecountryproject.com forward slash give. Thanks so much, we'll see you in two weeks.